Hello and welcome back to this podcast series where we take a look at things in pharmacy and try to cover them in about eight minutes, trying to tell you something new and interesting or give you a new angle on something old and interesting. And this week falls into the latter category as we're going to be looking at half-lives, that thing in pharmacokinetics, which I'm fairly sure everyone will have covered already. But don't skip out on this podcast just yet as there's value in a refresher plus there's bits of maths and pharmacology and other stuff in there too. So let's start this podcast properly and ask the question, how can we think about half-lives? So first off, what is a half-life in relation to medicines? This sounds like a daftly obvious question, but it's worth starting with the obvious, because it might not actually be that obvious. So the half-life is the time it takes for the level of a medicine to half in the body. Mathematically, it's expressed as the natural logarithm of 2, or 0.693, divided by k, the elimination constant, which itself is the volume of distribution divided by clearance. But that doesn't really make things any clearer. What is important is that for medicines that follow first-order kinetics, the half-life is a constant. It doesn't change. If you have 100 milligrams of medicine in the system, the time it takes to drop from 100 milligrams to 50 milligrams is the same amount of time it takes to drop from 50 milligrams to 25 milligrams, which is the same as to drop from 80 milligrams to 40 milligrams. It's therefore a nice easy number that you can use to work things out about how long a medicine might take to start working, whether a loading dose would help, or how long an interaction might last for. But there are nuances, which we'll come to in a bit. But let's cover the straightforward refresh a bit first. So a half-life is obviously a useful thing to know when you're trying to work out when a medicine will have left the body. This is useful if something terrible is happening and you want to know when it might stop, or if you know one medicine interacts with another and you want to know when you can start it. If you know how long something takes to half its level, you can work with percentages or fractions and work out when it's practically all gone. After one half-life, the level is half what it was. Another half-life, the level is half a half, or a quarter. Another half-life, and it's down to 12.5%. And another two, and you're down to 3.125%. After five half-lives, your drug level is down by 96 to 97%, and can be thought of as negligible. And the same thing is true at the other end of the medicine's timeline too. It takes five half-lives to get up to steady state. The concentration curves when you start taking something and when you stop taking something have a type of symmetry. So the things with a long half-life take a while to get to therapeutic level and a while to leave. Things with a dirty long half-life therefore benefit from loading doses to get levels up to therapeutic quickly. Short half-life medicines don't benefit from a loading dose in the same way. There's no point as they get to steady state quickly anyway. And if you adjust a dose, you need to wait for longer to take a level if something has a long half-life, as if you take it early, you'll still be on the upward curve rather than at steady state. So that's a fairly useful tool to use. Plus it makes us feel kind of clever, in that it's pharmacy math that doesn't involve counting in multiples of seven. But is it really that simple? Obviously not. But why? Well, the main reason is that real life tends to get in the way. Real humans are fairly complicated things, and lots of different factors kick in to nudge your mechanistic approach off kilter. It's definitely worth learning about and using, but as with all things, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. It's always worth learning a little bit more than you think you need to, so that you're in your comfort zone when you do what you do, rather than operating at the edges of your understanding. So first things first, the half-life quoted in the product information looks all nice and accurate, and it's sometimes quoted to a few decimal places. But it's important to remember that this is a population-based average statistic, and your patient may not be average. Yours may have poor renal function, poor liver function, a different volume of distribution, or be a neonate with all these differences and more. 
So it's already an estimate, even if it were true and there was one half-life for each medicine, which there isn't. So the next question to ask is, what half-life? Although we like to distill half-lives down to a simple number, the world is a more complicated place, so what are we actually measuring? In most cases it's about levels in the blood, but if your product gets distributed elsewhere, that makes the plasma half-life fairly irrelevant. Elendronate has a plasma half-life of about an hour or so, but that's because it goes out of the bloodstream into bones. Its actual terminal half-life is about 10 years. So which half-life do you use? An hour or 10 years? Both are true answers, but true answers to different questions. The other thing that can throw off the mechanical interpretation of half-lives is that an individual drug can have different half-lives at different stages. The half-life is a constant in our first-order pharmacokinetics model. The body gets rid of X% percent of what it has in each time period, but first-order models assume that elimination pathways don't get saturated. Once they do, the pharmacokinetics drift towards zero-order kinetics. So for some things, if you have a lot on board, for example in overdose, the observed half-life will be extended as the clearance will change from X% percent per time period to X milligrams per time period. Other stuff is just weird. So ticoplanin, when you stop taking it, has a terminal half-life of about 150 hours or so. But the levels drop tenfold in just 24 hours between doses when on treatment, which definitely doesn't marry up with the stated 150-hour half-life. And there's loads of other pharmacokinetics and dynamics that throw off our model when you put stuff into real people. Things like rifampicin induce the same CYP enzymes that metabolise it, so over time its observed half-life decreases. Clarithromycin inhibits the same CYP enzyme that metabolises it, so at big doses and over time its observed half-life increases. And obviously things with a slow absorption like MR tablets, or more significantly depot injections, have a longer apparent half-life than their elimination profile would suggest. Fentanyl stated half-life is a few hours, but patches keep topping up your levels as your body tries to clear it. Its stated half-life is useless to help judge how long it might work for. Similarly, we have to think about what we're using the half-life for. So if you're looking at interactions with clarithromycin, for example, the half-life is stated at about six hours, so after a day or so, it's, according to the maths, left your system. Except its effects haven't. It's left your blood plasma, but clarithromycin interacts with other medicines by irreversibly inhibiting CYP3A4. So the time for it to stop interacting with other stuff isn't the drug's half-life, it's the time it takes for the body to get rid of the broken 3A4 and replace it with new shiny stuff, which is longer than the half-life would suggest. The duration of many products' biological activity is fairly unrelated to its half-life, and even when it does, the five half-lives to leave your system rule might not be the best guide. Yes, it does take five half-lives to get down to about 3% of initial levels, but after two half-lives you're down to 25%. And if you took half a paracetamol tablet for your headache, would you expect it to work? So where does that leave us? We started with a cool and interesting pharmacy-specific fact that we could use to impress others with our science knowledge, and then ruined it by being all pharmacy about it and making life complicated. So, to end on a positive, half-lives are still useful things to know about, but you need to think about them and how you're using them. First off, think about when you should use them. Are you concerned about when all of a product has left the system, or when its biological effect has stopped? Because these are different things. If you do use them, don't be too accurate. The half-life you quoted by the manufacturer is a population statistic for people who might not be like your patient. Think about which half-life you're using. 
which one is meaningful for the problem you're solving. You wouldn't say don't have anything that interacts with alendronate for 50 years after a dose, for example, because the 10-year half-life is the wrong one to use in this scenario. And think about the confines within which that half-life is likely to apply as a constant. It's for the window in which that particular medicine is likely to exhibit first-order pharmacokinetics. Stated half-lives are good for a bit of a rule-of-thumb guesstimate of stuff, but you need to use your other pharmacology, pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic knowledge to make sensible, pragmatic recommendations. And that's it. Hope you found this useful, and see you again next time.